Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about grants and corporate sponsorships. Did you know that those things are just out there for the taking? We're going to talk with Devin Fletcher from Imperial Dynasty Performing Arts. He's going to tell us how he knocks those things down all the time with regularity. Stay tuned. Here we go. Welcome to Funding the Performing Arts podcast. Open and frank discussion about supporting and growing the performing arts, such as instrumental, vocal, drama, dance, marching, and pageantry arts. Hey, everybody. How's it going? This is Brian Gilbert, founder and CEO of Fans Raise. Welcome to the Funding the Performing Arts podcast. Really happy to have you here. Uh, we did a webinar just recently with Mr. Devin Fletcher. Devin is the founder, executive director of Imperial Dynasty Performing Arts. Pretty neat story. He's going to tell us all about how his ensemble came to be uh, as really a community-based grassroots arts organization and how he's grown it into a perennial WGI finalist for uh, marching percussion, indoor marching percussion. Devin's quite a guy and a great storyteller, and we're fortunate to have his uh, expertise available to us here. Um, so we're going to jump right into this interview. This is actually an audio extract from the webinar, so hopefully it doesn't sound too boxy in terms of levels and uh, equalization. So we're going to jump to that right now. Uh, but right now, what I really want to do is introduce you to this fine-looking gentleman right here. His name is Mr. <laughs> Devin Fletcher. He is the executive director of Imperial Arts, Imperial Dynasty Arts Program. And I, uh, in, in getting to know Devin uh, a bit over the last year or so, uh, Devin is tire, tireless in terms of his commitment and the way he has put together this independent nonprofit performing arts experience uh, based in Wilmington, Delaware, uh, the, you know, the tippy top Newcastle County area of Delaware. We're, Devin and I, you know, we, we probably live, I don't know, four miles from each other, if that. Um, and we're basically a, a suburb of Philadelphia, right, Devin? Yep, pretty much. So give us, uh, give us a little bit of the backstory in terms of how you, how did you build this thing? How did, how did this thing really start to take off? Well, um, I'm going to give you the short version. So I was part of a, a inner city program called the Eastside Steppers back in 1994. It was a community drill team and things, okay. things of that nature. Um, I went to college, came home, and the drill team that I was on really wasn't existing anymore. So I went to the Police Athletic League, and in, in exchange for rehearsal space, um, they said I could start a drill team there. So in 2002, I started Imperial Dynasty. Um, we remained a drill team up until about 2009. Mm -hmm. um, and what happened was uh, we were at a competition one time, and I know people know Tom Beebe. Oh, yes. Um, Tom Beebe judged us at a competition in 2007 and 2008. And he told me, come to TIA, come over to TIA. We're a drill team. We know what TIA was because we taught at William Penn High School, their indoor line. So let me, 
uh, for the fo- for the folks on the call that aren't familiar, TIA stands for Tournament Indoor, Indoor Drill Association, yeah. and it's basically the Mid Atlantic localized version of WGI, yeah. uh, encompassing Southeast, well, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, West Virginia, Virginia, New York. Uh, so we're kind of right. That circuit is prevalent, or it's one of many circuits actually. Uh, it's one of the oldest ones actually. Uh, so go on, Devin. I'm sorry. Oh, that's cool. Um, so in 2009, we we took that leap. Um, in TTIA, we had no front ensemble. We just had drummers. We had um, somebody in the front ensemble who plays, uh, she had a laptop playing sound effects. So <laughs> 2009 was our, our, our big hit into indoor, and we did pretty well. We were there for a few years, and then in 2012, we decided to go into WGI. Okay. Um, I went, we went to WGI and I had a big, and I mean, we were at the point where we were borrowing equipment, begging people for equipment. I mean, making it by the skin of our teeth. Um, and we got to WGI and we, for me, that's when it all clicked. Like we cannot compete on this level with what we have and where we stand. Mm-hmm. So then I took uh, a few years off and in the midst of that, I did some self-reflecting and, um, research a lot of things to where now we own everything that we have within two years, all of our equipment and things like that. But what what kept me going is the fact that we're in the community, we stayed in the community. Um, mm-hmm. We do a lot in the community. So the indoor part of it was just an extension of what we do. Um, okay. But when I put it all together, and we operate year round, it helped me a lot to get more funding and more uh, visibility with different corporations and different uh, foundations. Okay. To the point now where we're, we're self-sustainable. And, um, you know, we're, we're continually pushing for better and hopefully starting more programs. Um, and now we're looking for a hierarchy of, of funding and, and, and programming. So that's pretty much how we came to where we are from 2002 to 2018 right now. So from the time you were, uh, you know, just a, like a drill team, you know, battery ensemble, your mm-hmm. first foray into actual competitive marching adjudication, it only took a couple of years and then you're in Dayton at WGI. That just yeah. is like, that's that's nuts, but that's so great that 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 leap was there, and and probably that exposure with your kids to yeah. see where where the edges of this envelope, you know, and what else is possible. Um, you know, we see it at Bands of America when you get groups that go to Grand Nationals that, you know, they're not t- what you would typically assume would be competitively uh, like a Grand National finalist, but that process of just indoctrinating not just only your kids but also your parents and your boosters and showing them what is possible and what some of these other groups do uh it really helps enrich the whole thing so um you have done this and in the time i've known you you've already like in the short time i've known you you've already turned over equipment you've had you have (laughs) outstanding resources at your disposal and (laughs) 
it's it's continuously being upgraded and it's just yeah. it's almost i don't want to say an embarrassment of riches because i know that everything that you ask for is something you need but you right. also have uh you're not shy necessarily about moving equipment to purchase other equipment right uh when it's maybe at the end of your useful life but it could still be sold it's off and you know, i and i do that pretty much for a reason mm -hmm. um Going into WGI, for one, a lot of companies are not into the inner city. Um, the different brands, Mapex, uh, Pearl, Yamaha, they're not into in the inner city. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of their sponsorships stops and starts at WGI for the most part. And, you know, artists. Mm -hmm. um, so what happened was once we hit WGI and then I started – I started uh, promoting my program to the different vendors um, and different companies. What happened was I started to get endorsements. So I will turn over something now because I'm an endorser of this uh, group or mm -hmm. this company and things of that nature. Um, so I was going to buy the equipment anyway, but if I'm getting a better deal with this company, then I'm going to turn over what I have mm -hmm. and jump on, on this one. So sure. we're pretty much at, where we want to be, we're, we're perfectly happy with the uh, endorsements we have now, the sponsorships we have. You know, we're kind of we're kind of kind of good where we're at. Good um, right now. Well, to that to that end, let's talk a little bit about grants versus sponsorships. So, one of the thing I uh, one of the things I want to try to make sure I avoid doing is painting both of these with the same brush because. Uh, Sometimes you'll hear the vocabulary or the nomenclature, um, you know, you uh, grants and sponsorships in every circle aren't necessarily denoting the same thing. What I mean by that is grants are normally referred to as uh, their, their funds provided to underwrite the costs of a specific program. Yes. And for some reason, here we go. Okay. I caught up now. Uh, so uh, these are great, uh, great resources to have for one-time expenses for either launching a new program or expanding an existing program. Uh, they're great for things like equipment or even facility renovations or some sort of a project that might be considered shorter term. Uh, some people look at this as almost seed money to kick something off and get it off the ground. And the hope, and so, I I want to ask you to maybe expand on this a little bit is that sometimes foundations when they award grants they want to support an initiative that may need help getting off the ground and launching but the organization can then prove they can sustain it through other means correct so could you talk about that a little bit and how you've how you've managed that well we have both and when you said they are um it's like painting with two different brushes, mm -hmm. but it, it, it makes one piece of art. Mm -hmm. So I think both of them combined is very beneficial. Right. Um, grants, yes. And I want to put this out there, like what works for me may not work for everybody else. Of course. I'm not a, I'm not a professional at this. I just know what works for my program and what I do for my program. So when I find grants, um, my, since my program is already in existence, um, I have so much documentation, which is why 
you always see me taking pictures of Imperial Dynasty. You always see me posting them on Facebook. That's documented. I don't do it just to, to like show people what we're doing. I do that as documentation. Mm-hmm. And I do that to keep people informed, especially some of our sponsors and people who wrote grants are on Facebook and they like my page. Mm-hmm. So they do like to see progress within the programs. They look, do like to see that we're still sustaining ourselves. So I take a lot of pictures, a lot of recording for documentation. When you have documentation, you can go to these, um, go to these foundations wherever you find a grant and you can tell them, listen, this is my program. This is what we have been doing. This is what we're going to do. This is what we plan on doing. We would like to write a grant for this specific prog- program. Like it may be a project, you know, um, and then they will see that if I give them this grant money and they buy this equipment, it's going to help the whole program and even expand the whole program. Right, right. So, so things that can be carried forward yes. as a result of that, that grant exposure. Now, yeah. the other side of that coin would be sponsorships and sponsorships can take a few different forms. They can be ongoing. They mm-hmm. can be multi-year in some cases, Um, but they're typically, there's an exchange um, usually attached, usually some sort of exposure or awareness that is generated by the beneficiary. So uh, if it's equipment, if it's cash, if it's some sort of in-kind gift, uh, it could be a lot, it could take a lot of different forms. We're going to spend a little bit of time on that uh, in a moment. I think as you talked about just a moment ago, documenting and being very, very thorough and very meticulous in terms of uh, even being able to report out, Hey, here's what we bought with your, with that grant. Here it is in action. Here are our kids playing the instruments and, and traveling and competing. And um, that visibility is key. And the more public you can make that, the better. So uh, right lays right in with your point as far as, uh, not being bashful <laughs> about bragging, bragging those things up a little bit. Yeah. Every time I post something, it's either hashtag Vic Burke, hashtag Remo, hashtag Lugwood or whatever, because it's bringing recognition not only to my program, but to their product. Right. Right. And they see that when they see you're promoting their product like that, then they're more inclined to give you better deals, to hook you up with some stuff here and there and whatnot. Sure. Okay. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about grants and we're going to probably focus the next few minutes on this. Um, So grants, I I think a lot of organizations, so I'll back up and take a, maybe a a bit of a wider view. So I'm a former band director uh, myself and, you know, I've got my music ed degree and after leaving the teaching field, I taught for about seven years. I, was able to fall back on some other experiences that I grabbed during my college years in terms of sales and business development and marketing. And I was able to just basically control restart, (laughs) uh, hit the hotkeys and just like control delete and just start all over uh, with a new career. And then I, you know, for the last, you know, decade and a half been involved more in the, you know, the corporate world with things. Uh, bringing me now to this experience with fans raise. So um, I will say that in my 
experience, most educators, most music educators and artists are not necessarily the most adept business people in terms of budgeting, in terms of some of the detail work that has to be done behind the scenes. I can tell you in my formative years as a band director, I was horrible <laughs> with that stuff. And it really, uh, it, it's, it's a time thing. It's also a, fami a familiarity thing. And those are skills that you just don't have to use on a regular basis. So I don't know if it's necessarily use it or lose it, but uh, in terms of being able to do month end expenses for, I mean, typically, you know, running a business or running the administrative side of a nonprofit, let's say, is much different than standing in front of a group of kids and making them play together and sound good. So, um, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. But yeah, see, that's the thing. When you're in a scholastic program, I think those skills are lacked because you don't have to budget, really. Your school does a lot of the budgeting for you. They tell you what you have, and you work within that budget. Like, you know, if you go over that budget, you're not getting nothing else or right. things like that. Whereas an independent group, our whole livelihood right. depends on budgeting. Right. You know? You, uh, if, if, if the money doesn't get raised, uh, mm -hmm. if the fundraising doesn't work, yeah, um, you know, I've, I've had drum corps directors tell me that, you know, what we do is a 12 month activity and it's, it's fundraising every month and it's recruiting every month. Yeah. And if you take a month off from either one of those two things yep. in season, off season, doesn't matter. It will show up. It won't show up immediately. It will show up a few months down the road in a way yep. you don't want it to. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about grants. So I know in our conversations, you've talked about just over the years, you've gathered information in terms of Google research, in terms of uh, different websites and, and listings, um, whether it's state organizations, municipal organizations, um, you know, local large employers, and, and you've, you've got a file of research where you pretty much know it, you know, regionally and also locally who gives out money, <laughs> who makes yeah. those grants available, yeah. and also what their timelines are. Can you talk a little bit about that process? Yes. Yeah, so my first year, I started writing grants in 2014. Um, I didn't know nothing about it. So I did hire a grant writer who was, he was a novice grant writer. So we started working together, mm -hmm. which was great. Um, he didn't know much. I didn't know much, but he had the drive. He's amazing. Um, so we started working together and he would do some research and I would do some research. One thing we found out was that um, for us, beneficially, um, we stayed away from like state grants and federal grants and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's for down the line. Okay. Um, we utilize Google a lot. Um, and we, we look for stuff that was local. There's a website where you can pay called like grantwatch.com. Mm -hmm. And you pay a monthly service for them to tell you a grant popped up when you can research it yourself. One thing we found, uh, we got it down pretty much to a science to where we, we pretty much only apply to foundations. Okay. Um, and the reason we do that is because they're a little more laxed with the process. Uh, most of the foundations, you write the grant and then you mail it in. And you can actually go in and meet the people. 
Ah, okay. So you can go in there and you can talk to, um, we have one right here in Delaware. Um, and it's like four or five different foundations. They share one, one office suite. So they, you know, they all talk together because they work together. Mm-hmm. But so we we got to the point where we actually started working on foundations and grants are who, you know, you know, so once we got in there, we talked to everybody. We told them about our program. We sold our program to them. Um, so that, that's one thing that helped us. That's why we stay with all types of foundations because you're actually talking to people and not a process. Mm-hmm. So like the, the grant foundation that we went through, they're, you know, it's a bunch of rich people who <laughs> do endowments and they have this, this foundation run their money for them, mm-hmm. but they're local people. But you, when you fill out the application, even though the board may say no, the person who's actually money it is can overstep them and say yes, mm-hmm. because they may feel something. Right. That the board Some sort of connection. In the process. Exactly. So you can actually go and talk to these people and, and they will help you. When you look at state and federal, everything is like to the T, this and this and that. There's no interview process. Mm-hmm. There's no, hey, come talk to us process. It's either you have this in a row and it looks pleasable or not at all. Okay. You know? So uh, in that bullet point list on this slide, how to apply, we'll talk about some of the application mechanism in, in just a bit. Items that can also help. I know uh, if you're if your performing ensemble, your, your arts organization is not yet officially declared nonprofit status, um, that, that creates some challenges. If you have an IRS determination letter, you have previous year Form 990s, which is basically the nonprofit version of the tax return. Right. This is the money we took in. This is what we spent it on. Um, that type of documentation, even organizational budgets or even school district budgets, uh, can be helpful. And uh, you know, lists of other grants and other funding that you've received—that's uh, key. And and that's something you taught me. Um, once somebody takes a chance on you the yeah. first time, it's very easy to parlay that into other other exposure. Right. My. Um Again, this is not bragging or anything, but I want to tell you how it all works hand in hand. Mm -hmm. My first grant was from the Bank of America Client Foundation. And I like it because you can talk to the people, things of that nature. It was an an application we did online. I got that in early 2015, and it was for $15,000. After that, I wrote several grants and <laughs> I, I didn't get him, you know, cause you know, with, with, with drumline equipment, $15,000 is a drop in the bucket. Right. That you doesn't know, that, go very far. <laughs> but that, that pretty much bought our sound system and right. all that kind of stuff. That that's nothing. Have fun with your bass drums. All right. <laughs> so I got that. And then it was, it was months and months and months. And then, so the stuff I bought just sat in, in the basement. And what I like to do is, as soon as I receive a grant, honestly, that grant, it's already gone. So when I write grants, 
I already know what I'm buying with it. I already send, like, I, wherever I'm buying it from, I have an invoice already made up. Mm-hmm. And when, and the first thing I do is I send it over with my grant and say, this is who we buy from. This is what we're buying. And then once they give me the money, I just send them a receipt, an email with a receipt that says paid. And mm-hmm. that shows them, that's like my report telling them what I did with the money. Right. But yeah, 2015 was like my first grant. It was $15,000. I didn't get nothing for a while. And then in 2016, I met with the Longwood Foundation here in Delaware. And the lady, like, but before that, there was a, a, a company called the Crystal Trust Fund. And they, they denied me. Everybody was denied me. I went to the Longwood Foundation. The lady took her time. I met with her, talked to her. She told me what I needed to include in my grant. I showed her, you know, some documentation of the drug team I have now and things that they're doing and this and that, what I want to do and where I'm going. And a few months, like she worked with me hard. Mm -hmm. And a few months later, she called me and said, I got (laughs) $25,000. Once I got that, once I got that, the next um, grant I put, I put that I received $25,000 from the Longwood Foundation, which is the top given foundation in Delaware. It's the top. Nobody, I have a long list of all foundations in Delaware and they are at the top. So after I got that, I started, I wrote to the same um, foundation that denied me last year. They gave me $25,000. The same company well the same another foundation that's in the same building once i put their name and their name on air because crystal trust fund is the second top in delaware once i put both of their names on air the welfare foundation gave me fifteen thousand dollars so when you have the number one in your state the number two in your state both taking a calculated we're not real risk isn't the right word but they're 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 showing you the love where even in my program right they're they're they're, uh, you know, firmly in your corner. Right. When you have the number one and the number two, suddenly getting three, four, five, and six becomes a little different. Yes. Yeah. So from 2015 to now, I have raised about $118,000 in grants. And that's-, that's because once they know you and those names are like that, then people are more inclined to give you. I, I always say it's a who you know type thing. Which right. allowed me, which that money, people say that's a lot of money, but it's, it's gone so fast. And I use it primarily for equipment. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is once money come in, I buy what we need immediately. Mm-hmm. If we get an endorsement through somebody, we wait till the end of the year, I sell what I have. I still have that money on hold for equipment because all I do is I write equipment grants. I don't write um, operation grants. Mm-hmm. I just write equipment. And I do that for a specific reason because that's also building assets. So right. once I get that um, equipment grant in, I switch out. I sell what we have, put that towards something better. Mm-hmm. So I like to keep upgrading the equipment I have and keeping it better so it's not like we will go five or six years and then we're like oh my gosh this this bass drum is on his last leg or this and this and that and this and that to where 
if we get to a point where the well runs dry, we still have quality equipment for long stay, you know, for stability. Sure. To, to keep us, to keep us going. Right. So now let's, Oh, I'm sorry. Go. No, no, go no, I was just going to, uh, I think that's probably a good place to turn our page over into sponsorships because, you know, they usually these are going to indicate some sort of value exchange for either goodwill or publicity or for some sort of exposure. And one of the things in my research that I came up with was actually, and maybe a little, uh, maybe a, a formal sponsorship program may not be as uh, strong of a fit for an independent ensemble like yours, but I'm thinking more, maybe more in terms of a community theater uh, group or perhaps uh, a music booster association, something that has maybe year round activities. They're constantly in need of funds. Uh, there's always a new season coming up, a new batch of kids, you know, instruments never seem to go as far or budgets never seem to go as far. So, uh, I've actually got some excellent examples in terms of what programs are doing out there. And I'll share these with you in our follow-up email when I send out the link in the recording tonight um, of what groups are doing with a formalized sponsorship program, uh, which is pretty easy to manage. And it's probably pulling together some of the things you're already doing, ad books, um, display ads, mentions at concerts, um, signage, things. uh, But if you can bring a little structure to that, that can be very, very beneficial and pretty easy right. to, uh, um, to perpetuate. Right. You, you had talked about meeting and greeting locally and actually having the opportunity to stand in front of the people that are evaluating your application. And I know in the, uh, the marching arts funding group on Facebook that you started, um, there was just recently a very active conversation about what are some of the things that you can do to build local support. I think maybe the initial poster was referring more so to maybe recruiting, but then it got me thinking in terms of, okay, well, how about funding? (laughs) What about, you know, the local businesses, local direct businesses? What are some of the things that they can pitch in? Um, Maybe it's, maybe it's not Ludwig Musser or uh, Con Selmer coming to you with, you know, equipment or a hefty discount on equipment, uh, but maybe it's stuff that's in kind, uh, donations, things like facility usage or food donations. How many marching band programs need to dry clean uniforms uh, a few times a year? And that adds up. So it's funny you mentioned that because I wrote a post right before I got on here about community involvement. And one thing I wanted to stress to people is the fact that Community involvement doesn't mean you have to go out there, beat drums, do a drum activity or do a marching band activity or anything like that. What I posted was one thing that we do is some of our community leaders around here have a community cleanup day. Mm -hmm. My kids go out there with their Imperial Dynasty shirts on and help clean up the community. Um, Some people help volunteer and do things at the fire hall. Um, But what's that doing is that's showing the people in the community that you want to give you money and you want to support you that you're involved in the community just as much as they are. So they're going to, when, when you put out something to say, Hey, can you sponsor my kid or this program? They're going to be more in in tune to do it because they saw you out there in the community, giving back 
to the community that you serve. Right. So, and one thing, and I know this is probably like a little bit off, but one thing when I write grants, I, the last thing I like, I put into the, uh, the grant is music. I don't, I don't, I don't start my grants off with, Hey, um, I need drums. I need keyboards. I need this. I I don't start with that. Mm -hmm. That's, that's my last push. And that's, actually how I get music is how I get um, the grant. Well, how I get to do what I want with, for instance, like I'll write a grant saying um, I want to educate the kids or I want to keep the kids off the streets and into a positive environment with building structure, mm-hmm. leadership, teamwork and building uh, community relations and being model citizens. But I want to do it through music. Right. Right. So music's the conduit to accomplish X, Y, and Z. So here's our mission. And we're using music as a vehicle to get there. Exactly. This is why we need this. And you're, you're leading with, uh, there's a social benefit. There's an educational benefit and uh, the music just helps fill in the blank. It it, it pushes this to do that. That's the for, um, for us to do it. Great. Great. And I think because our ensembles tend to be very highly public, uh, you know, especially marching ensembles that are in parades and that play year round, you know, yeah, that marching band, maybe they hang it up in November, December, but a concert band is going to be on stage before you know it. (laughs) And that jazz ensemble is right around the corner. So you always have exposure available to you. How can you leverage the eyeballs that you have? Uh, that are that are seeing your events and are experiencing uh, some of these very very public. You know, if you get invited to the Sugar Bowl or the Outback Bowl or heaven forbid the Rose Bowl, uh, you're literally going to have millions of people watching every move your kids make. Oh yes, you're, there's got to be a way to leverage that. Yes, and how and part of that really becomes how creative can you get? I read uh, and I'll send everyone a link to this article. It was uh, I believe it was on Marching.com, which is a great resource by the way. Uh, Marching.com uh, talked about uh, an ensemble from Northern Virginia that was headed out to the Rose Bowl. They got an in-kind donation from a moving company, storage and moving company, and they, they, they were more inclined to donate the driver and the truck if the ensemble could pay for the gas and the fuel uh, to go from Virginia all the way out to Pasadena for the Rose Bowl. Uh, They also went to the biggest health system in Northern Virginia. Uh, Now the name is uh, escaped. Oh, Innova. Innova with an I. Innova uh, Health System. And they were able to get a six-figure sponsorship from Innova for putting a patch on the sleeve of the uniform. So that's pretty nice money if you can get it (laughs) for having a customized patch created. Uh, Of course, it has to be approved by the Rose Bowl Committee and and things, but... uh, they do make some allowances for some of that, but that, it's really just a question of how creative can, can you get and what are some of the things and the value that you can give back? Um, let's flip over real quick. We've got about 20 minutes remaining. And I want to talk a little bit about, or have you talk about uh, the mechanics of application. So as you were, you and I were walking through this, the one thing you're very organized guy, 
<laughs> and I, I need to, uh, I need to take some, uh, some tips from you uh, in this regard too. But I know, you know, who's giving grants, what foundations are where, what their timelines are. And you keep all of this running on some sort of, uh, I don't know if it's a spreadsheet or some sort of document. Um, what are some of the tricks that you've learned in terms of staying organized and staying in front of some of these things, knowing when the, op- the window opens for applications and when it closes again? Um, so what I do is, and when I hired a grant writer, we developed this system. We, have a, we meet at the, uh, the beginning of each year. Mm-hmm. We research as many grants as we can from January to December. Then the ones that we think, we have two lists. We have one list of ones that we are about 80 to 100% sure it's a go for us to get. Mm-hmm. Then we have some, some curveballs or some Hail Marys that we right. just throw in there. It's that week. We, gotta, we can talk yeah. football. Yes. yes. <laughs> and you never, you, you never know. Right. Take a shot. Yeah. So what happens is we list them in the order of their deadlines. Okay. So we'll have the one group and we just had one that ended in December. So we finished that one and we won't hear nothing back until March on that one. But what we do is we list them like we may do two a month. And their deadlines may be, so like, say we want to do one in February, the deadline may be March 3rd or March 4th. Right. So it'd give us, it it don't take any time, but we know a month ahead that we got this grant coming up. So we want to go ahead and apply for that and get it in there. Now, the one thing that you had talked about was basically building a master a master cop, a yeah, master, master template of a like basically everything you've ever had to assemble in terms of a program description, in terms of a yeah. statement of need, in terms of basically just encapsulating what you're asking for, why you need it, what your mission mm-hmm. is, and you have sh- short, medium, large, long form versions of all of this, yeah. where it really just becomes Legos, where all right, I need this short description. This has to be under a hundred words. This, you know, yes. and every application is a little different. Some are going to be print, you know, and print out and fill them out. Some mm-hmm. are going to be online. Some are very loose. Yes. And some are incredibly rigid. Basically uh, that I did. And um, some of the ones that are more formal are the ones where, hey, if they ask for an, uh, a statement of need in eight lines and you give them 10, yeah, you're yeah. done. Yeah. So you really have right there. You can't follow directions. You know what I mean? Right. (laughs) Right. So so you must really not want this grant. Right. Yeah. If you're not going to work with us. Um, So now some of these organizations are very public and they're the foundations actually have pretty robust websites where you can look into and research other projects they've funded. Right. And to what dollar amounts. And you can kind of begin to get a sense of, okay, they like technology, they like the arts, and they like education. This, we we tick all three of those boxes with what we're trying to do. And maybe if they've got a leaning toward technology, maybe you look at your program and you go, hmm, I could use, you know, brand new electronics 
that I can use for my musical. I can use it for marching band. I can, you know, um, you know, some of these things are multi-purpose and can serve different ensembles. So, um, I I think what happens is people, when they look for a, a grant, they don't think outside the box. Right. And you have to be creative. Like, just like you said, if you were, you found somebody who wanted to give up some money for, for technology, like, like drum corps indoor right now it's very technology savvy like we're running main like even though it may not be as high high tech but you're running main stage you know mm-hmm. with your midis and you're putting lights and remote control lights and remote control this and samplers this and that. all that's technology yeah so you can get creative with that and apply for a grant that way and use that stuff um and and like as a as a as a pathway to to getting a grant sure but there's there's no reason an indoor color guard with the drama and with the you know the the emotion in the body and the the you know just the layers of all of those disciplines there's no reason that you couldn't go to foundations that really enjoy funding the art theater yeah and you know maybe maybe they haven't done a color guard grant before right but you know, they're still technically the arts. Right. Absolutely. So I, I, but, but I think it's also key to not bang your head against a wall and try to put a square peg in a round hole. If there's, if it really, you have to stand on your head to try to figure out, okay, how do we connect to that? Is it worth it? I mean, if you've got the time and you have clearly defined grant parameters, maybe it is worth a lobbing in an application just to see what happens. So, um, and that's why I say as a director, like what I do is, like you said, I have this one big template of Imperial Dynasty. It has our statement of need, our mission statement. We have a little, um, we have a little brief history, our accolades. Um, like every, every month, I mean, every year, we update it with data of the kids and success of the kids. And then every, every vet, that comes back to my program, I give them a tuition credit of whatever dollar amount, just a little bit off. If they write me a letter, like a testimony saying, hey, um, I was part of this ensemble. This is what I got out of it. This is how it made me a better person. This is the friends I made. I feel better. This and that. When you compile 10, 15, 20 of those together, that's a powerful statement given to somebody to read. Right. So now they're looking at you like, wow, he's making an impact in these kids' lives. We need to <laughs> fund that. So those are like, and, and that's why I say a director cannot do all this and sit and teach. Right. You know, it, it goes with having your staff in check. Like you have to have the staff, you have to delegate, you have to give everybody a job because mm-hmm. as a director, your job is to give your staff the tools they need to succeed. Right. right. If you can't do that, then then you have nothing. Is and it necessary, do you think, for let's say, let's take a garden variety band booster association. Not they, they are nonprofit. Uh, they have their 501c3. And let's say that uh, band directors got everything he can handle. Okay. Great relationship with the band boosters and the executive board. And let's say the band director comes to the boosters and says, look, we could really, uh, I think we should start 
uh, seeing how much mileage we can get out of grants and sponsorship. I'd like, I'd like to put a project together, involve, involve, manned and staffed by some of the boosters. Can, can we just ask, you know, who, who do we know in our organization or maybe even parents of recently graduated kids who can help us, uh, you know, format grant applications, build a spreadsheet and figure out where the foundations are, when their timelines are, when do the windows open and close for review? Um, do, do they have to go out and hire a grant writer or is this stuff no, that they that's can- because I do it. The only right. reason I hired a grant writer in the beginning because mm -hmm. I knew nothing. I knew absolutely nothing. Right. Um, I did get a couple local grants from the city um, and that was just a paper and that's because they saw us on our local TV station and they called me and said, hey, we got money for you. I'm like, cool, fill out this form <laughs> and bam. But I knew if I wanted high dollars, I needed to try and hire somebody that, right. that knew the ropes. So when I met this guy, I, and this is crazy, I put an ad out on Craigslist, just messing around. And he, he, he messaged me. Well, a lot of people messaged me, but it, it was something I didn't want somebody who was straight, like corporate straight. Well, this is what you No, I wanted somebody who was going to feel the passion that I felt. Right. And the guy I, I met, he is a curator at a museum in Philadelphia. So I knew he had a, a feel for the arts and he said, he's done some, small grants before he really want to get into the meat of it. He wrote some grants for his museum. So him and I talked, I brought him in and we started, we started to, to understand each other. Mm -hmm. And he started to feel what I was feeling. And the good thing is he had the time to do a lot of stuff. So when he started doing it, that may push me more to start doing it. And then we just met together and, and kind of meshed and, and, and put our ideas together, which was, which was amazing. Now, two, three years later, his repertoire just added $118,000 to, you know, to his credentials. Like he helped fund this amount of money. Sure. Helps, helps him out in his career, helped you guys yeah. out a ton. Yeah. That's great. So a couple of the things we learned in that interview with Devin, number one, the off season is a great time to do your strategic planning in terms of figuring out where these foundations are, what their time windows are, when they open, when they close, and just really brainstorming uh, how you're going to approach the grant application process. Uh, so the off season is great for that. Number two, you do not necessarily need a grant writer in order to do this. If you just can find somebody within your team or your family that has some sort of writing experience, maybe a little bit of uh, Google foo, if you will, uh, they should be able to turn up some pretty good results. And uh, I think it would definitely be worth the time invested in exploring what kind of grant opportunities and foundation sponsorships uh, you might be able to turn up. So that's all for now. Uh, please check back with us. Uh, make sure you subscribe on iTunes. And we will be 
heading down to Texas for the Texas Music Educators Association's annual conference. Uh, that'll be the second week in February. And I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll take the equipment and we'll go ahead and uh, see what kind of trouble we can get into in terms of recording, uh, see if we can capture some interviews and, and get some good insight into what's going on in the bamboo scene that may be in the great state of Texas. So that's it. Uh, please follow us on social media and check back with us soon for another episode. Thanks. Thanks.